Good afternoon and welcome to From Where We Are, stories of news and culture through the lens of USC and Southern California. I'm Quinn White coming to you live from Studio B in USC's Annenberg Media Center. And I'm Hannah Abual Hodge. It's Tuesday, November 29th, 2022. Boo hoo, our last Tuesday show of the year. And on today's show, Mauna Loa, so sorry, erupts on the big island of Hawaii and a look at the Respect for Marriage Act that was passed. Bob Iger makes his big comeback as CEO of Disney and a big lawsuit could be on the horizon for the city of Palm Springs. All of that and more from where we are. But first, we have Claire Schurz with today's news headlines. Yesterday, in a series of tweets, Elon Musk claimed that Apple threatened to remove Twitter from the App Store. If Apple CEO Tim Cook were to pull Twitter from the App Store, the platform would lose one of its main ways of distribution. Over in the Canary Islands, a ship arrived from an 11-day voyage from Nigeria, where three migrants were found alive on the rudder of the ship. The Spanish Coast Guard rescued the three people Monday. In national news, Kellyanne Conway, former Trump advisor, met with the January 6th committee for nearly five hours. While the committee didn't publicly issue Conway a subpoena, there is no confirmation whether a private subpoena was issued. And here in California, reportedly half of the inflation relief payments have been issued, according to the California Franchise Tax Board. The payments vary in size from about $200 to $1,000. And finally, Los Angeles County Health issued a cold weather warning. Windchill temperatures are expected to drop below freezing in mountainous areas like the Antelope and Santa Clarita Valleys. The cold temperatures are expected to last until Friday, so stay warm, Trojans. For Annenberg Media, I'm Claire Suris. One of Hawaii's most prominent volcanoes started erupting on Monday evening. Aside from the general safety factor, the volcano holds itself as a relic for many Native Hawaiians. Spencer Klein has more on the story. Yesterday, Mauna Loa, the world's largest active volcano, has erupted in Hawaii for the first time in nearly 40 years. While neither volcano is threatening the safety of Native Hawaiians, it's causing debris in the air, said Sir Cornwell, a student at the University of Hawaii. Thankfully, um, a lot of it's just ash. And with in Hawaii, um, the volcanoes, they have flowing lava and not really like um, spitting lava. Cornwell said for Hawaiians, the volcanoes erupting holds a significant meaning. Yesterday when Mauna Loa was erupting, um, yesterday was actually La Kuakua, which is a um, within Hawaii, which is a celebration of sovereignty and independence. So it's Hawaii's Independence Day. Cornwell said the fact that several of the volcanoes erupting comes as a sign of reassurance to Hawaiians. Um, the fact that, that Mauna Loa um, Kilauea and also Mauna Kea was um, snowing as well, played a significant part significant part within my culture um, because this eruption comes as a hoailona to our people and a hoailona is like a sign or an omen. Cornwell said this lets them know that a new change is on the way after everything Native Hawaiians have been through. It's very, very reassuring and I feel extremely more connected um, just knowing that like through everything um, Native Hawaiians have gone through, it's nice knowing that we have this reassurance and sign that our gods are still working hard and a time where um, a new change is going to come. 
its neighbor volcano, Kilauea, has also been erupting for more than one year. These two volcanoes have not erupted together since 1984. For Annenberg Media, I'm Spencer Klein. Hours ago, the Senate voted 61 to 36 to codify into federal law protections for same-sex and interracial marriages. While the bill has been praised as a step forward for the LGBTQ equity, there are underlying implications that may have serious impacts on future couples. Colton Lucas has more details on where the bill may fall short. With passage of the Respect for Marriage Act in the Senate, current and future granted marriage licenses for interracial and same-sex couples will likely soon be recognized in every state under federal law. Democratic members of Congress have pushed for passage of the Respect for Marriage Act since 2009, when the bill was first introduced by New York Representative Gerald Nadler. After the Supreme Court's decision to reverse Roe v. Wade this summer, the bill has since seen a resurgence. Democrats and Republicans alike have feared the court's ability to reverse the legalization of same-sex and interracial marriages. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said on the floor this morning the bipartisan bill would prove to be a step in the right direction. The Senate will vote to pass the Respect for Marriage Act, putting it on the brink of reaching the president's desk. In many ways, the story of America has been a difficult but inexorable march towards greater equality. Sometimes we've taken steps forward, other times, unfortunately, we've taken disturbing steps backward. But today, after months of hard work, after many rounds of bipartisan talks, and after many doubts that we could even reach this point, we are taking the momentous step forward for greater justice for LGBTQ Americans. If passed by the House and signed by President Biden, the bill would repeal the Defense of Marriage Act, make same-sex and interracial marriages federally recognized, and provide additional liberties for religious groups. While Democratic leaders have praised the bill, there's also growing concern it wouldn't do enough to protect LGBTQ people. Every state would have to federally recognize same-sex marriage licenses, which is already the practice thanks to the 2015 ruling in Obergefell v. Hodges. But if the Supreme Court's current conservative majority reverses that ruling, the right for same-sex couples to obtain a marriage license would be null in states where it hasn't already been legalized. Additionally, the bill would allow religious nonprofits to refuse services to same-sex couples. The bill gained support from several religious organizations, including the Church of Latter-day Saints, which has praised the bill's religious exemptions. With bipartisan success in the Senate, it's likely to also pass in the House, where it previously passed by a vote of 267 to 157 in July. Though the future for the Respect of Marriage Act still remains unknown, there's no denying the bill will have major impacts for queer and trans people nationwide. For Annenberg Media, I'm Colton Lucas. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean Out with the old and in with the new, or more like back with the old? Bob Iger announced yesterday that he will return as CEO of Disney. Millicent Boache has the story. New is out, and old is back in at Disney with Bob Iger back as CEO, replacing Robert Chapek after two years. Filled with gratitude and excitement to be back at Walt Disney Company. Wrote Iger on his personal Twitter account, adding a photo of the Disney Legend Plaza featuring Snow White's seven dwarves and three giant red ornaments. On Monday, Iger's first town hall before in-person and virtual employees touched on several topics. A hiring freeze executed by Chapek after a poor quarterly earnings report, Disney's streaming portfolio, and the company's stance on LGBTQ plus issues. 
When asked where the studio stands on the subject, Iger said, One of the core values of our storytelling is inclusion and acceptance and tolerance. We're certainly not going to lessen our core values in order to make everyone happy all the time. This was a major change in direction after Chapek, whose delayed response on sensitive topics like Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill, came too little too late after employees staged a walkout in protest. It targets trans children and places limitations on discussions of the LGBTQ plus community in the classroom. I called Governor DeSantis this morning to express our disappointment and concern that if legislation becomes law, it could be used to unfairly target gay, lesbian, non-binary, and transgender kids and families. Chapek's late statement seemed to be the nail in the coffin during his two-year run as CEO. Now, Iger intends to remain as Disney CEO for the next two years. During his previous tenure, Iger was held as one of Disney's most successful CEOs, and in his own words, he noted that he wouldn't have come back if he didn't believe Disney's future is bright. For Annenberg Media, I'm Millicent Boache. I'm Quinn White. We're glad you're with us from where or from where we are. And I'm Hannah Boal Hodge. It's nine minutes past the hour, and coming up, all the potential lawsuits for Palm Springs and a look at the incarcerated students program by USC Dornsife. Stay with us. Palm Springs may be known as a luxury vacation spot, but what many don't know is about the history of the city's Section 14 civil rights violations. Today, many survivors came forward seeking restitution at a press conference in Limert Park. Maya Vinette was on the scene. So just imagine you're a little kid coming home from school to this neighborhood that you love and you see your house on fire. And you can't call City Hall, you can't call your city council person, you can't even call your city fire department. That's because it was your city fire department. Areva Martin is the civil rights attorney representing between 400 to 500 victims of the Section 14 forcible housing evictions in Palm Springs back in the 1950s and 60s. City officials burned and bulldozed the houses of working class black and Mexican families in an effort to develop the city into what it is today. Many of you know Palm Springs to be the playground for the rich and famous, but as Palm Springs was developing into this exotic playground, it was keeping a very, very dark secret. And that secret is called Section 14. I was going into seventh grade when our family was forced to move from the safe and secure life that I knew. My father worked hard and built our home. And we had to leave it behind. My childhood innocence, fun, and happy-going life was taken from me when we moved into a neighborhood that was filled with racism, hate, and anger. There was a family with three brothers whose house I had to walk by. They would yell at me and call me wetback. And to go back to Mexico, I didn't even know where Mexico was. We ended up leaving our home. Just seemed like to me out of the blue. Well, not only did we leave our home, we left my precious daddy behind. 
Um, my daddy was one that was going to stick it out. I had no idea why we were leaving as a child. Um, but I later found out that we were forced out of our home. Economist Julian Mavlo, who was hired by the victim's legal team, values the damages of survivors and their descendants at anywhere from $400 million to $2 billion. It's a modest number, frankly. If harm is done, harm must be fixed. It's not enough to have an apology. An apology is fine, but you can't put butter on an apology and make it edible. Survivors of Section 14 are encouraged to reach out to the Martin & Martin Law Firm or join the Palm Springs Section 14 Survivors Facebook group for more information. For Annenberg Media, I'm Maya Mari-Vennett. The Dornsife Prison Education Project, which offers USC classes to incarcerated students, will finally allow these students to receive academic credit for taking these courses. Maddie Brown has more on how the program hopes this change will provide greater support to incarcerated students and work to dismantle the misconceptions surrounding the prison system. For the first time in USC's history, the university will be offering a class to incarcerated students in which they can actually earn credit. Since 2017, the Dornsife Prison Education Project, or USC PEP, has offered various classes to incarcerated students. These classes teach various subjects, from physics to film studies. They meet once a week for eight weeks and are taught by USC professors, who are typically aided by five to ten USC students acting as TAs. For the last three years, USC PEP has been running a Writing 320 class. They call this class an inside-out writing workshop meaning it's a combination of students on the inside at the California Institute for Women and students on the outside, meaning they attend USC. In this class, USC students don't play the role of the TA, but rather take the class with the incarcerated students. Now for the first time, incarcerated students that take this class will earn credit just like their peers at USC do. Kate Levin, the co-director of USC PEP and one of the professors that teaches the Writing 320 class, explains why this new development is an improvement on the previous system. Um, but what it hasn't offered them is any credit, any academic credit that they can, let's say, put towards a degree or have a transcript for or anything like that. So we've wanted to give them that because that can make a huge difference um, in people's lives, whether they want to continue their education or whether they simply want to, let's say, show a parole officer, you know, that they've taken the class from USC. Um, it really matters. Now, I think it's still, you know, made a difference in, yeah. in the incarcerated students' lives because, you know, they, you know, what, for one thing, what the research shows is that if an incarcerated person takes even one college class while they're in, uh, on the inside, um, they are almost half as likely to recidivate or end up back in prison. Levin believes the classes will not only positively impact incarcerated students, but USC students as well. She believes that when USC students learn alongside incarcerated students, it helps dismantle their misconceptions about prisons and incarcerated people. For Levin, these classes help all students gain a richer understanding of each other and the world around them. Nicholas de Dominic, who is also a co-director of USC PEP and a teacher of the Writing 320 class, addressed why, in some ways, it's USC's responsibility to offer this four-credit class. 
USC is in South LA and South LA is a community that's been over affected by incarceration. And USC's relationship to South LA is really, really complex too, right? It's responsible for some of the over-policing. It's responsible for some of the gentrification. It's responsible for fewer opportunities in some ways. I think over the last 20 years through programs like the Neighborhood Academic Initiative, uh, this, the work the JEP is doing, the university's gotten better about sort of understanding its relationship and its commitment to the people that live outside our doors, uh, but it doesn't necessarily redress all the harm that it's performed. And so programs like this uh, begin to sort of answer for, for some of our previous sins. Students enrolled at USC and incarcerated students will be able to take the Writing 320 class in the spring. For Annaberg Radio News, I'm Maddie Brown. Hannah, can you believe that it's the last Tuesday radio show of the semester? I can't. I'm a little sad. Actually, I'm very sad. I am too. Honest, I'm not just saying this. But Tuesday is my favorite day of the week. I love doing radio. Tuesday is a great day of the week. And I just want to thank you for being such an amazing co-host with me. It's been so awesome working with you. Hey, thank you. I would also like to thank all of our wonderful friends in this and uh, behind the scenes. They're also so wonderful. Um, I had a really, I had, t- yeah, like I said, Tuesday's the best day of the week for me. I love being in here. Did you have a favorite story that we've done or? Oh my gosh, I think my favorite um, I loved sitting in here on election night. It was just so exciting. That was a good night. There's a lot of energy. What about you? I don't know. Every Tuesday, you know, we come in here not really knowing to, what to expect. And I think just being able to work with all the students, all the faculty, learning more about what's going on in the world has been really great. And so I, I really couldn't pick one specific memory. This semester, we're slaying. Yeah, and we hope that you see us next semester. The radio team is slaying this semester, but unfortunately that is all we have time for on today's episode of From Where We Are. Spencer Klein and Valeria Diaz produced today's show. and We also got some help from Mallory Cara. Thank you, Derek Renfro, for composing our theme music. We're also streaming live on YouTube at Annenberg Radio News. Subscribe to From Where We Are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And finally, please don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Annenberg Radio. I'm Quinn White. And I'm Hannah Aboual-Hodge from all of us at Annenberg Radio, wherever you are. We hope you'll join us next semester for From From Where Where We We Are. Are.